The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. What's up, recovery family? And welcome back to sharing our stories. My name is Slim with Nani Al-Jalil from Tribe Recovery Homes and our guest, our, our superwoman of the hour, Tanya Wheeler from Advocates for Recovery Colorado. And this is, as I said, sharing our stories. And if you've never tuned into this program, it is about addiction and recovery. And we tell stories of, well, dealing with addiction and how we are in our recovery so that we can share that, yes, recovery does happen. And uh, if you are suffering in addiction or have a friend or a family member that is, uh, maybe you can relate to them a little bit better. Or if you're that person suffering addiction, you can see that there's hope for you and that, yes, we do recover. So welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you for being here. Uh, Nani, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Slim. I I didn't even think about it. Like It's our first program of 2024. So happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah. Did you have an amazing New Year time? Did you have an amazing New Year? Uh, you know what? I um, God, I'm getting old. I stayed home. I was in bed about ten o'clock at night. <laughs> First of all, me and my puppy dogs. It was wonderful, Slim. It, it was, was wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> First, we don't use the old word. Oh, okay, no, no, no. no. Oh. That, that is a banned word in my okay. vocabulary. I don't How about use that. Seasoned. seasoned is good. Yeah, I, I like, like seasoned, okay. but we don't use old. Old is an unhealthy word. Yeah. That it, it's not. It's not it good for you. It doesn't. Right. Say the well. more you say it, the more your hair turns gray. Mm-hmm. The more you get wrinkles. The more your back hurts. The more you uh-huh. get out of bed slowly. Yeah. Uh, the more you have to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. All right. Don't use the old. The old word. Okay. Right. All right. What okay. do we say instead? Seasoned. 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 We're seasoned. That sounds like you taste good. <laughs> That's that true. sounds okay. like you're flavorful. I, right. I, that, okay, yeah. we'll go with that. You seasoned. know, like, I'm seasoned. seasoned. You know, if I call yeah. you up and we're flirting, uh-huh. we, we don't do that, by the way. We okay? don't. But if I called you up and but we were we flirting yes. and you were like, baby, I'm, I'm seasoned. seasoned. I'd be like, mm, I'm coming. That sounds tasty. <laughs> that's that's delicious. Oh, okay. You're my seasoned baby. So I know how I know how you flirt. Seasoned, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I like that. Seasoned. You know, I heard this year for the first time that instead of making New Year's resolutions to think of a word Uh one word that's like going to describe your growth for that year and so I've had a lot of conversations with folks including my staff yesterday at work about what word would you choose and I've heard some really great ones and and I heard a woman in a recovery meeting this weekend that was talking about shedding the old and coming into the new and so I have chosen the word shedding Shedding. Shedding for I really 2024. Like that. How's yeah. this mic? Is this mic good? Yeah. Shedding. It's like a Shedding. release, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think of a snake and like you just lost a whole layer of skin. 
So part of me is like, it's really cool. And the other part of me is like looking on the floor, like, where's you, where are you shedding around here, girl? A letting go. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Well, I've had a lot of changes, you know, over the past year in my life, just more in my personal life and uh -huh. stuff. And so, like, buying a Blossoming new and place growing, to bigger live. things. Yeah. yeah. Do, you know, doing a lot of really cool stuff with my family and with my friends. And, and so it just sort of made sense. You know, you're a, a really big big name in recovery in the yes. state of Colorado. Oh, I a lot of people that. know you. you. You have helped a lot of people. You're the reason why, um, when I, you're one of the reasons why I've done this program for so long. You're one of the first people that I met in, in my recovery. And you're the one of the reasons why I know that there are many pathways yeah. to recovery. Yeah. And why I use that phrase. I learned right? it from you and I learned that it is true. Yeah. And then this program has backed it up in the years that I've yes. done it because I have heard all, all of not all of them, because there are many, many yeah, pathways, yeah. but I've heard so many different ways. And whenever I hear a different one, I think of you. Uh -huh. And I go, that's just what Tanya said. There's not one way to do this. No, there's not one way to no. get clean and sober. There's there's the one way that I did, uh -huh. you know? And then there's and the one so, way I did. Right, right. And then there's and the, the one, one way, way I did. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. so on May 23rd, 1990, when I woke up from my last drink, um, I went and did what was available at the time, and I lived in this small little town in uh, northeast Texas. And yeah, there was a bunch of 12-step meetings. That's all I knew, mm -hmm. you know? And so for the first almost 10 years of my recovery, that's that was my thing. That's all there was. Um, and when I moved out to Colorado, uh, and I began to learn about things. For example, I was working as a drug and alcohol counselor then, and I moved out here and people started to talk about um, methadone and medication-assisted treatment and recovery and stuff. And I, I was like, what is that? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Because in that mm -hmm. tiny little town, there was no was methadone. There was no, no, and everything was abstinence-based. And I was and, used and, to and being in- And that was in, 1990. Yes. That was a long time ago. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and it was this way or no way mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so uh you know just getting to be involved with advocates for recovery colorado from the very beginning in 2001 when it was nothing but a bunch of people a few people not a bunch maybe eight of us sitting around a table talking about that the recovery community needed to have a voice yes and how were we going to help make that happen from that point forward i started to learn about all these other things and and i learned that you can't shame people because they're not doing it the way you did it. Mm -hmm. you, oh, that's so and you allow, or tell them that they're going to fail. Right. They're not doing it my way. You're going to fail. And you let people make their own mistakes and have their own and issues and fall fail. down There's for a minute and to help them get back up. Yeah. And so, you know, when we uh, opened the doors and started providing peer coach services at AFR Colorado, one of the things I always said is I better not ever catch somebody at our door telling somebody they're not welcome here. Mm -hmm. because I don't care what they're doing. I don't care if they're still drinking. I don't care if they're still struggling. I don't care what the situation is. I believe in bringing people together so that they feel that love and support instead of pushing people away, which is some things we've all experienced, experienced in recovery. Yeah, it is. So, yeah. um, you know, you, you've been on this program before, but it's still similar to how you did it, you know, the yeah. last time you were here. But I want to talk about how it is that you ended up you know, working at Advocates for Recovery and at, at a treatment center before that, um, helping people. Uh, your addiction, where did, 
where did where yeah. did your addiction well, start? I um I got drunk the first time at twelve years old. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just around some people and had access to alcohol. And, you know, alcohol wasn't foreign. I, there was drinking in my family. I didn't know anything about addiction. But what happened for me is the first time I ever got drunk, I blacked out. And I thought that was normal. My entire 10 years of drinking, I thought that that was normal. And that, that was that your happened. first time you yes. ever drank, you blacked out. Yes, mm-hmm. I hear people talk about that I drank for this many years and then I crossed this invisible line and I didn't have a line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mine was that way from the very beginning. And I've always said, you know, I, I drank and, and used substances for 10 years. And um, my first drunk was I got drunk, I got sick. I blacked out, I passed out, and I woke up with a hangover. Mm -hmm. And 10 years later, when I came to, on May 23, 1990, that last drink had looked exactly like that. I got drunk, I got sick, I blacked out, I passed out. Your whole drinking career looked exactly the same. It never was different from that. Mm -hmm. The difference in my story is that I started using methamphetamine when I was 18, and so I was just, you know, around some people, and you know how that works. Everybody's partying, and mm-hmm. so um, got introduced to that. And um, drinking took a back seat from right there. Uh, I really spent my days and nights. My life was about where I was going to get the next fix. And so um, when I came into and it, it just switched us. Uh, it's, it's just it's insane, you know, mm-hmm. and I um, I wouldn't have n- I didn't know this back then, but I guess I've always been kind of a go big or stay home kind of mm-hmm. person. Um, and the first people that I ever used methamphetamine with, they were shooting it and they convinced me that that's the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. So from the very first time I did it, I shot it mm-hmm. and and I never did it any other way. Like, I'm not the girl that has smoked meth. I haven't smoked crack. I haven't, I don't have a nose problems because I was snorting it because I was injecting it, mm-hmm. you know, the entire time. And um, that took such a big front seat in my life that I couldn't even see that maybe that other stuff had problems too, like drinking. And every time I got mm-hmm. drunk, I blacked out mm-hmm. or, or smoking marijuana or whatever the case was. You know, Mm -hmm. so when my life was shambles, you know, because I'd had during that time, I'd had two little girls. I had my first little girl when I was 16 Mm -hmm. um, and my second one at 19. and, and, and at although, that point, first one, you're an alcoholic, and the second one, you're an alcoholic on meth. Yes, yes. And I knew enough. I mean, my kid, I have a daughter that's going to turn, oh, she's going to kill me if she sees this. It's going to turn 40 this year. Mm-hmm. And um, she was five when I came into recovery, and her little sister was one, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the crazy part is that the oldest daughter was the mom in the house. So Mm -hmm. she took care of me and her baby sister. And when I came in recovery and tried to switch that back, it was a struggle. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I could just look at her face and I could say, it's like I couldn't see. You hadn't been doing this. Why do you want to do this now? Mm -hmm. You know? And so my addiction created a lot of problems. And um, But, you know, uh, the kids were not the priority. My family wasn't the priority. Having a job wasn't the priority getting loaded, Mm -hmm. staying loaded. And what I figured out in my recovery is that 
it was so painful on the inside with all that shame and guilt and all that stuff I was feeling that I couldn't be without chemicals. And so my first thing was, okay, cool, I'll quit, I'll quit using methamphetamine, but I'm not going to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not going to quit smoking pot. And it took about an, uh, almost another year and a half before I put those things down because I needed the experience of they were making my life just as unmanageable as the methamphetamine You had to prove it to yourself. I did. I did. Mm -hmm. And so with all the the things that we do at work now, um, I tell when we're training new peer recovery coaches and everything, I tell them, don't get in the way of people's discovery process. Oh, yes. They need that. I needed that. Mm -hmm. I needed to be able to live and to do what I thought was best, even though it kicked my behind several times I still needed that personal experience and I think that's something we have to let people do what a great way of saying that yeah, too, though. when I don't when I say we're gonna let don't let me see anybody get stopped at the door it's because I don't care what they're doing and what's going on the, that warmth that come on in how can we help you with your recovery today that's the deal that's important mm-hmm. so how did you get to I need to quit. Uh, you what, know, were the, what were the, you know, the steps? Well, the, 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 the good, the bad, and the ugly yeah. of how you said, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. I Well, I had these two kids, and I didn't have custody of them, and I didn't and have them. you were them. 22. Yeah. So at that point, one was... Uh, they were with their one grandparents. Was six and the other is four. Uh, five and uh, five and, and one okay. was about the ages that okay. they were... Uh, my youngest was and they probably were no close longer to, with you. They weren't at that point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I think I was lucky because I had family that I knew were going to take care of my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get involved with the the child welfare system, but my parents took custody of my oldest daughter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um, the youngest, her grandparents had her, and so I. You know, I've done a lot of work with, like, child welfare caseworkers, and I've said to them often that that when when a mom is has lost her child and she's in the grips of her addiction, it's not about love. It's about addiction. Mm-hmm. Because I'd have sold my soul to get high again. Mm-hmm. And I knew maybe deep inside that my kids were taken care of. Did that make me not a very good mom? Yeah. A hundred percent. But addiction has such a grip on us. And it, and it doesn't let go until we fight it off, as mm-hmm. we all know, right? And so, um, yeah, it was the priority over everything. So I didn't have my kids, and I weighed less than 100 pounds. And um, I was married to the dealer, and everybody in my life was drug-involved. And, um, you know, I was carrying guns and ammunition. And, I'd, I, you know, I don't say that because I'm proud of it or that made me a, a badass, right? Mm-hmm. I say that because that's who the person I had become, and that's not who I am, you no, know? Right. I don't see that person yeah. at all. <laughs> right, at all. <laughs> right, yeah. And, um, you know... Uh, my parents had tried to get me in to go to treatment, and I did for a few days. You know, back in the early days, you couldn't use the phone till you'd been there for a few days. And so I was going to show them 
you know. No, I don't have any meth in my system. This is a walk in the park. Sure, I'll go. And I went and signed myself in. That's what they used to get custody of my oldest daughter, thank God, right? Because mm-hmm. it took her out of that mess. And then, um, but the other thing was uh, the drug test came back, and I didn't have any meth in my system. And they said to me, if you don't have meth in your system, we'll take you home. And so, you know, I'm on the phone come get me and when they wouldn't come get me the dealer came and got me and I walked away so I'd had an exposure I knew enough to know there was help out there and um, you know ultimately I I got arrested I was on probation for possession it was all bad there's nothing good I was estranged from my family they didn't want anybody around toting guns and running with the wrong crowd and so um i don't know uh with the meth i i knew i could see how clearly that was causing a problem but that morning in may when i woke up in 1990 i i was hung over again and i opened my eyes and i remember thinking my life is never gonna be different unless i do something different mm-hmm. and i got up and i went to one of those meetings And there was a woman there who I'd watched for that whole year and a half, and I'd said things like, I'd never ask her to help me. She's too tough on the women she works with. And I went straight to her and said, here's what's going on, and I'm going to die. And I, I let it all go that day. And it was a struggle. It was really hard, but I had a lot of people around me. And, you know, around... um, advocates for recovery we talk about that the opposite of addiction is connection yes and and that that's not something that we thought up a guy named johan hari wrote a book and he quoted that he put that quote in the book and i just believe it's true and that's what i had was connection i had community with those folks i was going to meetings with with people that i'd become friends with and i think that's what helped me continue to walk through that i Oh, and I divorced the dealer. That was helpful. <laughs> that right? yeah. how, hard was that? How, yeah. how was hard was it to separate from those things? Oh, man, it was so hard. And, and I can remember, um, you know, somebody confronting me once and saying to me, do you love him or do you love the drugs he brings in? Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, immediately I was like, oh, I love him. Like, you know, but... As I've gone through work and therapy and worked on all that stuff, what I realized is we can become addicted to anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I was absolutely addicted to that person. And leaving that relationship was much like detoxing. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've never been good at relationships, just so y'all know. I've always said my picker's broke. Thirty. I think that's um, everybody at this table. Yes. Yeah, so that's not my good my good side. Um, we're good yes. at recovery though. Right. Yeah, we're right. Right. absolutely that's we one are. Thing we are good at. I just you know I moved. Slim, that's how I did it. I moved away from yeah, the people. Like a, yeah, I, you know, we talk about the geographical cure and how that doesn't big work. Changes that you but, have the, to make. but the thing that worked is that I didn't know people, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so I had my parents and I had these people. There was that more I than just moving from place to place. R- right. You know, it wasn't I just running away from the drugs. And intensive yeah. outpatient meetings and I had friends and I had family. Like I had all that connection. Mm-hmm. 
I really still today don't believe that if I'd have stayed in that town where I was doing all that, that I would have been able to maintain my recovery. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of people it. you had around you. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and they would have seeped back into your life. <clears throat> well, and you know, I've always said, if you want to see how you're doing in your own life, take a look at who you hang out with. That's mm-hmm. great. A It'll great tell point. you every time. Every Somebody came time. in here once and said, this, you are the sum of the five people you, you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I always remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I began to learn that. I began to learn the importance of, you know, having these new friends and new relationships. And yeah, it took some time to build some of that back with my parents, with my kids, with, you know, my oldest daughter and I, when I had 20 years of recovery, we were approached by an organization here that, um, that offered to do a video of them interviewing me and them interviewing her. And I still have that video. They showed it at a, a conference with um, children. They did a lot of work with uh, uh, the drug-endangered children in the state of Colorado and they showed that video and then her and I talked and one of the things that she said on that video that just it just got me was she said I wasn't sure that my mom really wasn't going to drink or do drugs again until she had 20 years wow 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 that's a lot that's a lot yeah Yeah, that's a lot yeah because one of the things we know about recovery is that we sure we put down the drugs and alcohol but then it's all that other stuff Mm -hmm. right so i had not been in their lives i had not been oh my mommy right and that trusting relationship Mm -hmm. and so to build that back took time Mm -hmm. and so you know i had to let time take time and one of the things i've done all throughout my recovery is be in and out of therapy so end a time and then and then go back because new stuff comes up you know um i get to be a grandma now and and that's amazing but there was a lot of damage with my parents with my kids with you know the people that were important to me in my life and damage that you caused yeah i caused yeah. it 100 mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. and you can't just like or i couldn't i tried everybody needs to hear that i tried to go back to my parents and say but i'm not using drugs or alcohol now now you try now you have to trust me it took time yeah. for mm-hmm. that to happen mm-hmm. and that's insanity on my part to think people are just going to go oh yeah it's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's a lot of hard work Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that, um, man, those early days were tough. Tell me about them. I remember uh, not being able to sleep when I first stopped using meth. Um, I would sleep for an hour or two. Mm-hmm. And I would have the most horrific nightmares, sometimes about using drugs, but sometimes things that didn't seem associated with using drugs. And I would wake up and I would be so shook that I couldn't sleep. Especially coming off the needle. I mean, you know, yeah. intravenous drug use is a different type of drug use. And I, it's, it's hard. Yeah. You know, when you're coming off of meth and you've used intravenously, it's yeah. the, and then, and that method of use really changes the game too. Mm-hmm. It does. When I think it changes our brain. It does. You know. I agree with you. So I get it. People that go, "Oh, how could you do that?" 
you yeah. know? And, and until I did it one time, I was one of those people. And mm-hmm. something happened inside of me. It was no longer scary. It was the solution. Mm-hmm. It was my relief, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, not being able to sleep, not... I was living with my parents, with um, my two little girls and the husband at the time. And I just, you know, a lot of the healing, like the brain healing... Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, there are things I don't remember. There are things that, you know, some of that, especially that first year that, mm-hmm. that went through. And, and the crazy part is I have this picture of me going into treatment and I still have it where I weighed less than a hundred pounds and I'm all sunk in. It was horrible. And, um, when I look at that picture, I don't think about what I looked like, what continues to come out to me is what I felt like. And what it felt like is that there was no Tanya in that body. Mm. That was just a shell. And that's the best way I can describe that. You know, I didn't have any emotion. I remember early on when something would happen and it was funny and I would laugh and it was like it would hurt my body because I had not laughed and smiled in so long. Mm. I was... You know, I didn't wake up one morning and go, oh, what a pretty day outside. I think I'll go to treatment. That's not how that worked. I was I was dead on the inside, and I was super close on the outside to mm. being dead. And I, I just know that it was only by the skin of my teeth that I had just enough willingness to say, okay, I'll try doing this somebody else's way. So when you found that woman and she started giving you those suggestions and doing that work, it was it was tough work. Yeah, yeah, it was way tough. What do you mean this is my fault? This is not my fault. This is everybody else's fault. And uh-huh. to, to be able to start to take a look at how my behavior had set the ball rolling, mm-hmm. how if I had not done this, then the reactions wouldn't have looked like that. Like I wanted to complain, oh, my parents took my little girl – feel sorry for me that's so horrible if I hadn't been using drugs and alcohol and running with the people I was running with that wouldn't have happened Mm -hmm. so I have to look at how I started that domino effect you Mm -hmm. know how do you forgive yourself for things it's tough and you know I think the way that I have done that the best is to continue to practice to be better at it each day Mm -hmm. so I could stay stuck in the fact that I wasn't a good mom and I wasn't there for my kids or there for my parents and um, or I could practice opposite action and 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 to me I really think that recovery is a lot about opposite action Mm -hmm. opposite from what I used to do you know Mm-hmm. So I, I think we're creatures of habit, and I think that eventually that's what becomes the habit. So needing to get into this place where I no longer focus just on how horrible I was and to begin to be able to transition some of that over to, but look what's happening today. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, I was the typical story of somebody going into treatment and and within a few weeks I'm in my counselor's office saying I want to be a counselor and she went yeah of course you do (laughs) (laughs) and and here's what she told me and this was the greatest advice I could have ever gotten she said I want you to go practice recovery for two years Mm -hmm. and build your own foundation Mm 
in your recovery. Mm -hmm. And if you still have that desire, you come see me and I'll tell you how to get into college and I'll help you take those steps to start working in, in this field. And on my second year anniversary, I showed up in her office <laughs> and said, I still want to be a counselor. And she said, sit down, I'll tell you how to do that. Well, you weren't full of it because you've been doing it for mm -hmm. 25, uh, 7, 28, 32, That makes my seasoned showing. 32 33 years. Seasoned in showing. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> But, you know, I see people that say, oh, I just got out of rehab. I'm going to be a counselor. And, I, you know, I'm not shy to say to people, don't do that. You know, go take care of you. Can you just do that for a little bit? Can you just be, you know, can you just be there for you for a little while? Um, and I, I don't know what that magic number is for everybody else, but I'm super grateful because in all these years in my career working in treatment and recovery, I've seen a number of people relapse. I've seen people commit suicide. Mm -hmm. I have watched people that one day they were at work helping someday and the next day they're gone. And, it, and what I have learned from that is that I needed that two years so that no matter what happens in my career, I have my boundaries and my foundation laid in my recovery. So, um, yeah, if it's a good idea right now, it'll be a good idea a little while down the road, too. Mm -hmm. So you've got 34 years in May? 34 in May. Wow. Jeez. Congratulations, I know. It's a, Well, That's... you know, no fronts. No fronts. Yes. Right? Um, I would have never seen that coming. There's no way I would have believed that. I, you know, in the things that I've walked through in my life, um, you know, birth of grandchildren and my mother passing away and um, actually that dealer that I, I was with and I was married to, he has died. And he is my youngest daughter's father. In, um, and being able to go from I hate that guy to... 15 or 20 minutes before he took his last breath, I got over to the bed beside him and I told him it was okay for him to go, that I would take care of our daughter. And I gave him a kiss on the forehead. Hmm. That doesn't happen in the world I was, I was living in before. No, you know? it doesn't. You don't do that. No. And so all of that healing, all of bringing all of that stuff together so that I get to sit as a woman in recovery today and be proud of who I am and how far um, how far I've come, how far things have happened. And, and understand, I don't take all the credit for that. Like a lot of that has been being around people that fed me when I couldn't feed myself. A whole lot of that has been um, with my relationship with God as I understand God and getting to that place from a place where I was so afraid of God I wouldn't even say that word when I first came into recovery. Um, having... Uh, having all of my family getting to be a part of that and now my dad who just turned 81 in November I get to give back to him I get to take care of him like I go to Texas like once a month and spend time with him and 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 it's such a it's such a joy to be able to say to him what do you want to do mm -hmm. you know or hey why don't you come up he came up here for Christmas so, and he played, oh, I probably shouldn't say that. There might be some kids around. But he wore a red suit 
Oh, yeah. He was, he was yeah. joyful. He was he joyful. Was joyful. Uh, uh-huh. Yes. He was joyful he was, for the holidays. And you know what? We have these fabulous pictures of like me and my sister and my kids and my grandkids. And it's unbelievable. Um, he used to be very joyful like that when I was a child. And, um, you know, who would have thought that that's what would be like the joy of my Christmas is that I was able awesome. to experience yeah. that, you know? Mm-hmm. So how how can I, not only the self-forgiveness, but how do I make that up to others, you know, being, being a part of their lives, showing up, being there when I'm supposed to be there, going to Texas once a month. Well, you also do this for thousands of people over the last 20 years in Denver here with Advocates for Recovery Colorado. Yeah. Okay, for people that don't know, a lot of people in recovery all have heard this, but if you have never heard of it, tell people about what Advocates for Recovery Colorado is. So we started out Mm -hmm. as just what I said, a voice for the recovery community. And and I had um, someone say to me a few years ago, who told you you could do that? And my answer to them was, Nobody told me I could do that. Nobody was doing it. Mm-hmm. We needed somebody to begin to do that. So it was really all about standing up, putting a face and a voice on recovery, letting people see that recovery is real. Because if we all hang out in these anonymous programs, then there's no way to get that message out there, right? Mm-hmm. And so coming out of sort of that hiding and being very mm-hmm. public, I, I will tell anybody, I don't care, y'all can tell You know anybody, how that's how I've always been. Um, <laughs> that I'm in recovery, mm-hmm. I don't care. Um, but When I started this program, a lot of people said, you can't do this. You yeah. can't have a radio oh, show man, I that talks about recovery. Me, you can't be on TV. You can't, you can't tell talk, your story. You can't tell you people can't you're do, sober. And, and, you know, and I that's never just not that. true. It's just not true. It's it's a misunderstanding of the traditions out of mm-hmm. the twelve steps. And I respect anybody who feels that way. You 100%, know, because I because they can do whatever the, they you need. do it your way. You do yes. it your way. But for me, I'm on the mountaintop screaming, hey. Me too, me too. This is day 3,339. Right on. (laughs) Yes. You know, so we started as this voice because all this other stuff that you see now in recovery community organizations and recovery coaching and peer specialists and all of that, none of that existed. Mm -hmm. I worked as a counselor in a program with pregnant and postpartum women that had children. You think that wasn't like a complete 180, right? When I had been that mom, and then I got to work with those women. So we started talking about the need for this advocacy voice. So so you're a voice. Yeah. What are some of the things you guys do? Like, So you and I have talked about how I want to be a counselor one day. After she just said, you wait two years before you're a counselor. But we talked about it. And I'll have my my two years, too. So she she has to give me a different speech than wait two years before I I can be a counselor. But um, but that's one of the many things that you guys offer is the ability to learn how to be a counselor. What are some of the things you guys do? Well, so early on, it was, I got to ask to speak a lot and mm-hmm. and back in the early 2000s when we started the methamphetamine thing was the deal yeah. back then like now we're focused a lot on opiates oh, yes. but mm-hmm. but back then methamphetamine was the thing that was really destroying people mm-hmm. not that it's not now just oh, yeah. the yeah. shit the sh- focus is shift. shift yeah yeah so um you know here i was and i would talk about being in recovery from from meth and um I think it was HBO that had put out a um, 
a statistic that said only 7% of people who are addicted to methamphetamine ever get better. And I, oh. I, I really took that on as a challenge, that that's not true. Mm-hmm. All of us have access to recovery. So lots of speaking, lots of conferences, lots of, you know, I remember in those early days getting involved with a, a group that was primarily law enforcement. And, and they asked me to come and be part of that and do presentations and stuff. And, um, you know, I would laugh on occasion. I'd be like, yeah, I'm the token addict. And, and what I've learned over all these years was I was the important voice. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a doctor out in Montrose. I love him to death. And, and we used to do conferences together, and he's got all that book knowledge. And he re- he's one of those people that really, however it happened, he could understand addiction as if he had lived there, but he had not. And he used to say in those conferences, I'm not the expert. She is. Mm-hmm. Ask her, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so having that opportunity, even at the risk of being laughed at or told I was wrong or discounted, it didn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. and so eventually, um, you know, being able to speak at places. And then I became a board member with Faces and Voices of Recovery for seven years, which is a national advocacy organization. And being able to, I had all these teachers. I was watching all these folks, this whole model like Advocates for Recovery. Really, that all started mostly on the East Coast. And by that point, they were roaring, man. They were doing incredible things like rally for recovery Mm -hmm. so um as i know a lot of your viewers and you guys know we do this big celebration for recovery every year Mm -hmm. um in september which Mm -hmm. is uh they used to say national recovery month however now it has really moved international because there are rallies for recovery in the uk and in brazil like i know a guy that went out to brazil and taught them how to do that so we've sort of dropped that word national and it's Mm. just recovery month Uh um and and we've done that since 2001 was our first rally so that's Uh advocacy that is putting the face and the voice out in the community and letting people see it because that's how you know it's real um You know, in my addiction, I hid all the time. I didn't want to come out. Mm -hmm. Coming out and talking about it has been part of my healing process. And, um, you know, eventually I got to meet legislators and I got to understand and learn about the process of passing legislative bills and talking to legislators and talking to our policymakers and and people that needed to wanted to be involved in that like I realized I had no idea sure I'll show up at the poll and vote for you know whoever my family mm-hmm. votes for mm-hmm. that's <laughs> yeah, really exactly. I think that that happens an awful yeah. lot mm-hmm. yes. but being around all these national leaders I really got to learn about that and I said we need to teach people about that Mm -hmm. so you know this year in September 2024 will there will be a voter registration table at the rally because we need to have our voice heard right not to tell people who to vote for you do Mm -hmm. that part on your own Mm -hmm. but we believe that our voice is not important so learning how to empower people and bring that Mm -hmm. to the surface Mm -hmm. that's a lot of the advocacy that's but so I, awesome. you guys have like programs and so on that people we do. Can, tell me about some of we those. We do. So, so we have what we call peer recovery coaches. And first of all, all of our services are free. Nobody pays for anything. And so a coach is someone who is just 
your buddy, mm-hmm. your somebody to kind of hold your hand and walk with you for a while. Um, there are lots of other roles that people get in recovery. Excuse me, but they, but we don't fill those roles. This is different. This mm-hmm. is a, uh, it's really a conversation about what are your goals. What do you want in your life a year from now or five years from now? And what are the steps that we can begin to take right now to move toward those? And that's what coaching is about. Um, full of resources, you know, Noni and Tribe and those guys and, uh, you know, everything from recovery residences to people that need to get into treatment that people don't know how to, they don't know where to look for a job if they have a felony or where can I get diapers and formula or where can I, where's recovery friendly? Like our coaches, we're, they're all, all of them in the state, not just ours, but they're all educated Mm -hmm. on if you don't know what the resource is, you know somebody to call uh-huh. to say hey that's always you know that's our big philosophy here and yeah. you know and it's another philosophy that i got from you just to, to be honest which is that you know if we can't help you we'll find somebody, find somebody who, does. who can yeah that's the thing 100%. always finding someone who can yeah mm-hmm. so we do that individually we do that in group settings um where people can come together and and we're this weekend Please look on Facebook because I don't have all these things written down. <laughs> this weekend, we're going to start another sort of recovery workshop where people can come together and they can work on those goals and stuff together, uh, again, for free. We started to host something that's called All Recovery Meetings, and that means everybody's mm-hmm. welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter what substances. It doesn't matter if you're practicing abstinence, if you're on medication, if you're taking your antidepressants. Please do all that stuff Mm -hmm. but we come together and support each other in a very open forum we've had family members and and people that have i remember for a a long time we had this one young lady who would show up and she was like i don't have any addictions but i have i'm in uh, a mental health diagnosis and i'm in recovery from that she would be like i just love y'all you know, I just want to hang out with y'all. Having been there, I, I love you guys too. It's a lot of yeah. fun over there. Yeah. Well, and then, and then we table. do fun stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We have barbecues and we have, I will tell you this, this coming Saturday, we are having a drumming circle. Oh, the drumming circle. I've heard yes. a lot of great so, things about the drumming so, circle. Uh, we have this amazing woman who's part of our team, Jackie Lucero, mm-hmm. and, and Jackie runs those drumming circles and, um, so she's been doing it for women mm-hmm. for uh, about a year. Okay. And so this coming Saturday is anniversary of one year with those women. And those women have bonded. By the way, our youngest drummer is eight. Oh, wow. She drums with her mother. And, and Jackie talks about that the, the first drum we ever heard was our mother's heartbeat. Mm. Right? So it's very soothing. So on Saturday, I'm sorry, on Sunday. Saturday, sorry, <laughs> on Saturday. This weekend. This weekend. Look, yeah, we'll it's look on it up. Facebook. Yeah, well, we Please look, look on it up. Actually, if you're listening to this Sunday morning, it would have been yesterday. But uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I forget about that. Um, so anyway, it's uh, we're launching a co-ed drumming circle. Oh, nice. So we're bringing the guys in. And I'll yeah. be there. You and it me, is, not I'll drum, be there. Drum, drum. <laughs> it is incredible. Just incredible. And so, you know, doing some things that are outside of the box, beyond just sitting around in a circle telling our stories. Mm-hmm. That was really important to me at 22 when I came in and I thought, what am I going to do? 
I just well, I got no social life. And and without these kind of things, you know, get togethers and, and meetings and so on, recovery can be lonely. It can. Yes. And it, boredom it can. is one of our Worst That's one of our triggers. Things, yeah. yes. Boredom and one of the trigger. things that make people that you know don't last in their recovery go, ah, oh, you know, I was just, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm so bored that this just isn't yeah. the life for me because I'm bored. It's yeah. an excuse. You know? We use it as an excuse. There are right. so many things to do in recovery. Yeah. There are yes. so many things to do. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, last year on July 4th, we had over a hundred people show up. We threw hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill and we all giggled and laughed. And we actually had a live band of some guys. Um, some are in recovery, but they came and set up and played live music at our place on, mm-hmm. you know, and we all hung out and giggled and laughed. And your location's and, on it. You got a few locations. We do. We do. So our, our main location is mm-hmm. at... Um, 6981 Federal Boulevard. In a classic building. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's an old rock house, and we do have a sign out front. And, you know, I tell people all the time, come by, drink a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. You don't have mm-hmm. to have an appointment. You Just show up. Just mm-hmm. The coffee's always flowing, and there's plenty of water, and there's usually snacks around. Uh, yesterday, we had a couple of staff. We celebrated their birthday, so we had this huge carrot cake, and there's still some in the fridge. Like that, You know, people just <laughs> need to come by and show up so Mm -hmm. that is where a whole lot of our stuff happens is Mm -hmm. that that's sort of our main campus and then we have an office in aurora Mm -hmm. we have an office in sterling colorado in the northeast corner and we have three offices out on the western slope montrose delta and durango and um we have just gotten some more grant money and so we're going to see some more offices open jefferson county Gilpin County, Clear Creek County. Um, that's a, a besides rec- walking in the door. What's the phone number? Seven two zero three eight nine six three. Why did you do that to me? <laughs> you look up this part, right? You look up the number. You look up the number. Oh, I hate it. Um, you when can that also happens. you can search for Advocates for Recovery Colorado on Facebook. You yes. can also just go on Google Advocate, Advocates for Recovery Colorado, yeah, and yeah. you can you can find them that way. And it's really you can think of it like as a phone number that is the one phone number for for all you need, mm-hmm. the one phone yeah. number to rule them all. Mm-hmm. We'll that's from the Lord of the Rings, by <laughs> the way. Right? I liked it. Yeah, you're it's good. We'll connect <laughs> people to whatever they need. Seven two zero three eight nine six three nine three. So, I mean, if yeah. somebody just has a question, just you know, just pick up the just phone. Pick up the There's phone. somebody there to Whatever answer kind the of phone. question you have. Yeah, you can talk to a coach. You can talk to, you know, the admin. You can talk to like, our director of training. We also train peer recovery coaches. And, it, and that's, we're doing training at least once a month. So, right if you're now. in recovery and you want to learn about how to become a coach, yes. you can call Advocates yes. for Recovery. Absolutely. You want to learn how to get into the field of helping other people in yep. recovery, call Advocates for Recovery. Yeah. You have have a kid that's mm-hmm. suffering an addiction call yes. advocates well for recovery. and you know what we actually have a family support specialist so we have a woman on our staff that is not in recovery from addiction but her child mm-hmm. was the person with the problem and her child actually died from an overdose in 2018 at 25 years old and and tracy's passion for helping other family Families. members mm-hmm. oh it's just beautiful to watch her work so again it doesn't matter there's there's no question that's stupid or too small. Just call or stop by and 
drink a cup of coffee and meet the people and we're you know we're always there and the whole staff has a connection to recovery and most of us are in recovery ourselves but then we have some staff like Tracy who's not a person who's herself in recovery but is in recovery her family is in recovery Mm -hmm. from the things that addiction caused in her life and um you know it's just an all-around good place to come and show up it's a family like you said yeah. it that's is. the word for it, it. really it's a is family. yeah yeah we do mm-hmm. uh we love families and kid friendly i'm smacking myself that i haven't been there as much we, as i as i had a few years you know, ago i was there a bit quite a bit and now i'm yeah. not i haven't been there in a while i'm well, totally we're gonna guilty that. yeah i'm gonna be there yeah because well, yeah. i'm gonna take this class to learn about being How a peer recovery coach. coach yeah yeah I, I like that for you slim i think i do too i think it would be amazing i do you know some people want to do that full time and some people are like i just want to find out about it it just helps me to be able to help others whatever the motive is yeah Yeah. and we have some some information on some ways people can get scholarships like it's Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to pay the full Mm -hmm. price Um, and and how long does a a a course to become a peer recovery coach for somebody so our training right now is the core training is 40 hours long Mm -hmm. and then we have uh ethics training that um our director of training wrote for peers. So that's and a couple that's of weeks eight hours. Okay, so is this about two weeks uh, then? So, so oftentimes we'll do it across a week, like oh, Monday wow. through Friday, nine to five. Mm-hmm. We have had some where we've put them across weekends, mm-hmm. two or three weekends in a mm-hmm. row. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just there are all kinds of ways. And, and we do some, actually next week, we have one that's going to be at our location there. Um, and that one's going to be in person and virtual. But oh. he also has done some that are all virtual. I personally don't like to train virtual. Oh, I can't weird. do anything virtually. It feels weird. Because I'm virtually doing something guy. else. Yeah, uh-huh. me too. I'm virtually yeah. doing other things. <laughs> sure. You know when it was that time when we oh, could all sure. work at home during COVID? Yeah. This guy did not do much work or yeah. have pants on not, yeah. no. <laughs> nailed it we know that's true both of you ladies true. do not know that is true at all not at yeah. all yeah and again uh-huh. you know you just you just call the number and and say this is what i want to learn more about and somebody is there to talk to if nobody else is there i'll talk to you i you know well, I, I was getting that feeling because you kept saying, come have a cup of coffee. Uh-huh. Come have a cup of coffee. Hey, look, people, I need somebody to come have a cup of coffee with me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, and sometimes people show up and be like, where's Tanya? Well, she went out to go get some coffee because nobody to, was here. Yeah. She went to Texas uh-huh. or in a couple of weeks, I've got to go spend a few days in Kentucky. So it does happen. But what I want people to know is there's always people there. Mm-hmm. Seven days a week, by the way, that's new from oh, the wow. last time yeah. I was I was here. We have staff on at that location seven days a week. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, what are the hours? You know, <laughs> seven days a week <laughs> at random times. <laughs> so, so here's the truth. Typically by nine in the morning, there's yes, staff no. there. Right? I, I know we don't wait. Staff. Look, we don't wear We don't wake up and go to work at seven a.m. I don't. Mm-hmm. Don't come there looking for me at seven a.m. Um, you know, there's usually somebody there until at least six mm-hmm. in the evening. Mm-hmm. So I think on our Facebook thing, it probably says it's nine, to five, nine to five, something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's the ideal time to catch somebody there. But we have all recovery meetings. Like there's one on Wednesday nights that. 
is 6.30 to 8, so okay. there's people there tonight. We have a couple of 12-step groups that um, have meetings at our location. So it's not like if you're not there by 5 o'clock, nobody's going to be there. And you guys throw all these cool little parties. Like There'll be New Year's parties or Christmas parties uh-huh. or I'm sure a Valentine's get-together, a yeah, singles yeah. meetings. I just heard that today, <laughs> that one of the coaches is working on See? a Valentine's get-together. A singles mixer. <laughs> singles mingles. Right, singles <laughs> I like that. Mm. Yeah, I made that yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, we had our big Christmas party this past Christmas at our Aurora office. Wow. Which was cool because yeah. I went to one of those long yeah. ago. Yeah. There was a white elephant exchange. Yeah, they still like that. It's like craziness. Yeah, you don't ever know. That. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I, you just... You know, let us know how we can help. Let I, me know how you how I can help. I love anytime. Laura on Facebook. She gave all the information for us. Oh, Advocates good. for Recovery Colorado, 720-389-6393. She said, call us. Thanks, Laura. She said, we have coffee and snacks. Snacks. <laughs> get with it. Come yeah, get coffee Laura's and coming through with the snacks. Um, Absolutely. You know, but but absolutely, if you're somebody that's in recovery and you're like, man, I, I need to make friends or I need a place to yeah. to find fellowship and so on, uh, I'm looking for more meetings or I'm looking we need to engage a social time. Yeah, I need, people I need, don't think about that. I need that's that. so important. It is yeah. finding new friends as we're letting go of some of those old especially, folks and especially yeah, then. yeah, and you can't, you know, when you show up at an event and there's a hundred people there, there's plenty of opportunity mm-hmm. to, meet to meet some new, new people. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, Laura works for us. Oh, I, 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 I think I, 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 I met Laura. Laura is uh, is the manager over our emergency room. Okay, Pierce. Hey, Laura. Yeah. Love you. Love you. Um, so, what's what's what do you have planned for this year? Because one of the things you mentioned at the very beginning was you were talking about, man, I got you know a, a lot of things going on this mm-hmm. year, and things continue to grow in and, and blossom. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool when you started off by saying that because. As we said, you're coming up on 34 years in your recovery. And to see somebody still say, oh, man, things are still growing. I'm still changing. I'm still blossoming. Yeah. You know, is is, is a wonderful thing. Well, in 2017, me and James Gannon, who was the first. Yeah, yeah, I remember James. Yeah, James is awesome. So James and I started working at that location on Federal. It was just the two of us. Mm -hmm. Right now, today, we have 20 staff members Mm -hmm. in six offices across the state wow i just named three more counties where there's going to be folks going in um we just got a grant out of denver county and so we're going to put some multicultural stuff in in denver Mm. um we just got uh some money to go into Boulder, actually, where Tribe is, and I know that, and we're going to put one person in there. I'm actually talking with them about um, having a spot in the house in Boulder. Nice. Um, Yeah, it's just going to keep growing because what I know happens is that people go to treatment, and at however many days, they flip you a chip, and they say, good luck, and you Mm -hmm. go back out there. And the problem is, is that we're not we're not making sure that people have services and access to this connection when they leave. So I have always said it's easy to stay drug and alcohol free in treatment. I've done it four times 
right? The problem is when I step out of that building, now where do I connect? Mm-hmm. And, and I, there are a lot of different places, but please know that Advocates for Recovery is one of those places. My goal is to keep putting locations in rural Colorado. Because can you imagine if you live in... Pueblo. 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 There you go. You live in Pueblo. You come into Denver and you come into treatment and you have a wonderful experience for whatever, 30 to 60 days or whatever that is. And you go back to your old neighborhood with the same people, the same friends, the same family. And nobody has told you how to how to connect to folks except, oh, hey, here's a meaning list to AA, mm-hmm. right? Which is great for some people, but not everybody's going to everybody. do that. Mm-hmm. And so we have to create this opportunity for people to find connection in their home community. There, um, there is a man named Don Coyas. I don't know if y'all know Don Coyas, but he uh, is the creator of White Bison which is a Native American recovery community organization in Colorado Springs. I should connect you. Yes. Don tells the story about a tree, and he says what happens is this tree starts to get really sick, and it wilts, and it's starting to die. And so we dig up the tree, and we take it over here, and we put it in a new hole in this soil that's really good and healthy. And after a little while, the tree starts to blossom again and come back to life. And what do we do at that point? We dig the tree back up, and we take it back over here and put it back in the same hole we got it out of, which to me resembles people going into treatment and going back home and we have got to learn to cultivate the soil we've got to learn to put recovery in the places that people need it not just in the denver metro area but the place where they can have it at home Mm -hmm. and they can learn things and then be be able to grow the recovery community in their home community right yeah. Because that's where the real solution is. And many people need treatment and many people need lots of other things. But our goal is to really set people up to be able to succeed in recovery, not in a treatment center or in a hospital, but in their community where they have lives mm-hmm. and jobs and families and kids. Because mm-hmm. that's where that needs to take place. That makes so much sense. Yeah, that's very well said. Yeah. 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 Thank and you. my apologies to Pueblo. You're not a little rural, rural <laughs> podunk town. My apologies. Um, Tanya, thank you so much for we being here. We could sit here. here all night, oh, couldn't we? Thank I, you. Yeah. You know I love you. We got to go know. have dinner again. I know. That right? was wonderful. We just yeah, did we that go last week. Again. Yes, yeah. please. Please. Yeah. Um, Advocates for Recovery Colorado, I thank you for... You didn't uh, form it by yourself. It was with a group of people, right? Yeah. Thank you to you and this team. Yeah. I don't get all the credit. Yeah. I was one of the founding board members. Mm-hmm. But thank you to you and this whole team. Yeah. Yeah. There were three gentlemen that were very instrumental in the beginning that were at that table. Mm-hmm. And they had been meeting for a few months. And then I showed up at the table and I've never left. Uh-huh. And um, none of those three... Uh, are doing the work that they did before. Two of them don't live in the state anymore, mm-hmm. and the other one has retired. Mm-hmm. And so it's been You're just here like an honor the torch. to carry it, yeah. you know, and to be able. And and my hope is that it, we continue to grow, and it, it's here for good. 
Thank you for. Oh, I can't you know believe I this love is. You. I, you know, you know I that's love why we you. Keep, we keep and being together. I know, I know. <laughs> we keep getting brought back together. But you know what you're doing, Slim? This show. This. I don't care what time it is. For one thing, it's posted on Facebook. You can go back on sharing your stories on Facebook and look at past shows and listen to them. And Noni, you're sitting here with him and keeping all the guests coming. We know who's doing that. She does it's all the Noni. work. She yes. does all the work. Yes, and this and, is true. I'm not even being sarcastic. She does all the work. Her and yeah. Dan in the corner, they do uh-huh. all the work. Yeah, nobody even gets to see Dan. But without Dan, we would not be right here. Tonight. Really good looking guy. Yeah. Young yes. dude. Sits in the yes. corner. Yes. Mother, uh, makes his mother proud. Good, uh-huh. good kid. Good yeah. kid. Yeah. So, Yeah. I will come back again oh, sometime. Come on. We'll come get on. some, get you connected. Send to us some guests. News. Send yeah. us guests. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. We, we love these great. advocate recovery for recovery Colorado family yes, members please. to come on in. Yeah, right. that'd be awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us, my recovery family. This is sharing our stories. You can find it on your radio here in Denver, Colorado, on Jammin One Hundred One Five and Flow One Hundred Seven One. You can also check them out. Check us out on our websites for those radio stations, jammin1015.com and flowdenver.com. That's F-L-O-Denver.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash SOS, sharing our stories. I know I'm just throwing stuff at you left and right. Uh, you can find Advocates for Recovery Colorado on Facebook. Also, just search Advocates for Recovery Colorado. We want to say a big thank you to Caring for Denver here in the Mile High, um, an organization that without them, um, we, may, we may not be here to... Um, bring this program to you. So thank you so much for the work that Caring for Denver does for the recovery community here in the Mile High. This is our guest, Tanya Archer-Wheeler from Advocates for Recovery Colorado. She is a superstar, and if you haven't heard of her, well, I guarantee you from here on out, you're going to see her name keep popping up in the recovery (laughs) world, and you're going to be like, oh my God, I guess I had heard of her. She shows up everywhere. Uh, I just want to say, you know, really and truly, I'm just some chick in recovery. She's just some chick in recovery. I just, you know, I have people that get... that sort of oh my god like you're that's a superstar you are and I'm like are you kidding me you are Bruce I, Springsteen of the recovery no, community you are no. the Celine Dion of recovery <laughs> yeah well no. I, I am just grateful <laughs> I am grateful to be here I'm grateful to be anywhere after the life that I lived in my active addiction and getting to share that out with big audiences like this just makes me super happy May 23rd is 34 years Yes. Yeah. It's coming. Thank you so much for your time, everybody, everywhere. Thank you for tuning in. This is Sharing Our Stories, and we'll be back with you next week.